But I don't, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. And we are here to tell you, for some of you to revel in, some of you to be totally disgusted by, that we are in the midst of yet another Novak Purple Patch. If you followed the etymology of Purple Patch on this podcast, you should have seen your visceral reaction to that. You hit it so much. I I, do. I did it purposely. Is it a cricket? Is it a colonizer term? Possibly. I'm, I told you previously, mm. however many moons ago, that I learned of it through cricket. Okay. So the Brits who are listening will know what it is. Everyone else will find it horrible. And previously, he was going through a blue patch earlier in the year okay. when he so couldn't string together any wins. Yes. Uh-huh. The Novak train is, is back on the track, and this run is, is just stunning. Last year, we saw incredible runs by Roger and Rafa. They both won majors that year. They both touched number one. Rafa is still officially number one, but Novak is very, very hot on his heels. We've had a lot of streaks at the top of men's tennis recently. Well, Rafa and Roger also have won this year. Mm -hmm. It feels like uh, many lifetimes ago almost at this point. Novak has won his last three tournaments, including the US Open and two Masters 1000s. Going back a little further, he's won four or five, with the only loss coming to Wunderkind Stefanos Tsitsipas in, in Toronto. Right. And with all those wins, he's now just a couple hundred points behind Rafa for year-end number one. And we don't know if Rafa will be playing yet. We don't. Novak has zero points to defend going forward. Rafa has 180 points from the Paris indoors last year and none from the finals. So from where I'm sitting, it seems almost impossible that Novak will not achieve the year on number one unless Rafa plays both the Paris indoors and the finals and has some good results at both. What do you mean have some good results? (laughs) He would have to outlast Novak. Yes. After being off tour since the U.S. Open, retiring at the U.S. Mm. Open, that seems like a mountain too high to climb even for Rafa. Yeah, I agree. And... Honestly, I don't think he's going to be playing Paris. I don't see any incentive for him to be playing Paris after all this time away to come back on his least favorite surface. And Paris is really the forgotten masters. It's It's the one we've said we wanted to get rid of. Mm -hmm. And I think almost everybody agrees that Paris is kind of the least revered of all the masters tournaments. It just seems like an afterthought this late in the season. And I think it is important to have an indoor masters if that's a genuine surface in this sport. I've never understood why indoors and not grass. I know there's logistical considerations and having a a venue that's big enough to host Mm -hmm. a a week-long event like that, but from a historical perspective within tennis, to now be in 2018 and have Paris be there as kind of like a throw-in Masters at the end of the year that nobody cares about, but we still can't find time in the schedule or the wherewithal to have a master's on grass mm-hmm. when we're getting all these celebrity infused exhibition 
group team events, new Davis Cup. Like the schedule is being littered all over the place with stuff that we don't want or need necessarily. Well, some people want it. But I feel like a lot of people would really want a Grassmasters. Mm. Anyway, that's a tangent. <laughs> but say Rafa doesn't play Paris. I don't think his, his mind is on number one at all at this point. No. I think if something means something to him at this point, to achieve the rest of the season is to do well and win in London because he's never done that before. I think that's more of an achievement for him to, to look forward to than keeping number one. Right. Balancing his health. I also think if the knees are still bothering him, the Australian Open is much more important than any of those things. He's been so close so many times that he really wants another one. That's what Carlos Moya told us a mm. couple of weeks ago. said that the goal is for Bercy. If not, then the year in championships. And if not, the big goal. And the most important thing is to be healthy for Australia. Right. And he retired in Australia this year. He pulled out of a ton of tournaments before that. His body clearly wasn't ready to be there. And I think training hard for these last two tournaments is going to imperil that again. The matter at hand, we're going to go through the results from the last two weeks that we've missed since our last episode. But the spotlight is going to be squarely on Shanghai and Novak's blistering run to that title. Mm -hmm. Was unbroken in 47 service games. Now, Novak is vaunted as one of the all-time great returners. And if he's in that good a form, that means that he's breaking your serve left, right, and center. Mm -hmm. And if you throw in you not being able to break him at all over five matches, it's a foregone conclusion. Unless you're, unless you're out here trying to beat Novak in tiebreaks. And, and who wants that? Like, who can do that? It seems that Novak is really at home on fast surfaces. I think for a long time the tennis world at large has discounted his prowess on very quick hard courts and grass. But now he's got, what, four Wimbledon titles? He's won on every surface, but like this Shanghai is supposedly the quickest of the Masters events. Mm -hmm. He's out here like, who go hit through me, boo? <laughs> Clearly nobody, on this surface at least. He beat four top 20 players, including Cecchinato, who beat him at the French. A bit of revenge there. He beat Kevin Anderson. Sasha Zverev, who beat him at Rome last year. Sasha is one of the few people who has won a Masters tournament without dropping serve. It's a more rare achievement than you would think. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sasha Zverev got his butt whooped in that semifinal. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because he didn't use the towel enough. <laughs> the, like, I realize that this Masters event didn't have maybe the most exciting matches of all of them this year, but the towel talk is just, it's boring me to tears. Zverev said that for him it's not an issue because he never, he never uses, uses a it. towel. We know this because he always lifts up his shirt and we have to look at his belly for the entire match. And it's <laughs> annoying to me. With Novak rising to the top of men's tennis again, he's up to number two, he's supplanted Federer. He's playing like the world number one uh, by a, a fairly good margin. Mm. With that being the new happening in men's tennis now, who is going to be the fella from the young crop to possibly break through and challenge whoever's rotating at the top of men's tennis? Right. Like, this is a question that we've been asking for a while, but I feel like we're closer than ever. We after are. After what happened today. But wait, wait, wait. I said we're going to get to that. Uh-huh. 
So keep that in mind with Zverev because okay. he is arguably the most accomplished. Not arguably, he is the most accomplished of the mm-hmm. younger guys. And we always, yes. I know I do, think of him as being older than he is. He's younger than Borna Cioric. Mm-hmm. Younger than Dominic Team. He's not even 22 years old yet. This result had to have been disappointing for him because 6-2-6-1 in 60 minutes, even against a Djokovic in good form, it's indoors. Right. Like this. In an hour. It's not good. It's, it's not good. Borna Cioric had a little bit more luck. He was broken twice, and that was that. Uh, I was surprised that Novak and Sasha matched up so poorly in that match. Is it just because Novak is so dominant? The challenge with playing Novak when he's on for somebody like Zverev is the movement. Mm-hmm. I think still Novak is able to exploit that deficiency in Zverev's game. Right. Is there anything that Novak can't do on a tennis court? And then the question is... We like is, to talk about the Joko smash, but he makes them more often than he misses. We, so even the Joko smash is a little bit overstated. It was a rhetorical question. Oh. And then the following question <laughs> was going to be, how many things can Sasha's Zverev still not do on a tennis court? And the, the well, gap between the two is mm. still sizable, even when they're playing at their best. It is. But I don't really think it's a fair question because we've been spoiled by this sort of mini generation of top male players who can do everything. And that's not really the history of men's tennis. Players like Bjorn Borg had an incredible backcourt game, didn't really volley. But someone like Rafa or Novak can do everything on the tennis court, can hit forehand volleys, backhand volleys, overheads. They can serve well enough. And in, in this case, they can serve in dominant fashion like Novak did. And their return games are unparalleled. But Their bones are elastic. Previously, in men's tennis, you didn't have to hit every single box to be the best. And so Sasha Zverev, what he does, he is very, very, very good at. But there's some, there's some deficiencies in his game, just like in Pete Sampras' game. He didn't so have what, a huge backhand. What are you trying to say here? So I'm saying that maybe when Novak and Rafa and Roger are gone, that will be enough. Sure. Does it mean, like, does every generation in a sport make it better, necessarily? No, you don't always push the needle forward. Mm -hmm. The 100-meter world record, while it continued to become better over time Mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons, there were decades where it was stagnant. Right. I mean, that's kind of given Zverev a a free pass here, I think, in this instance. Sure. Because if we're looking at what we should expect from him at this point, given what we've seen before... I think he's working really hard in the gym to try to gain endurance and get more fit. The an issue with him is strength, I think, is like putting on weight. But I think we still have to understand that he is very young and expecting him to challenge Djokovic when he's playing like this, it's just like nobody's doing it. No, nobody's really getting close right now. My question about Zverev, and I guess I should have saved this for the following segment, mm. <laughs> is does he have that much more to improve in terms of what he can do? Because we've seen Chorich improve drastically this year. We've seen Tsitsipas come on leaps and bounds. Can Tsitsipas improve that much more? We don't Mm. know. How much does Zverev have left to improve that he can actually achieve, is what I'm saying. I mean, you can point out the things that he needs to improve, Mm -hmm. but it remains to be seen if he, he actually can. Yeah. Like, maybe some people are just not natural volleyers, and that's all right. 
you have to find ways to basically make up for it. Because for what he's achieved at this point in his career so young, you would think that the sky is still the limit. Right. And perhaps, as you say, I'm being unfair and too hard on him. But, you know, we, we shall see. I think what's happened is this week in particular has opened up the, the dialogue and the discourse for those who are interested in that kind of thing as to who really is the presumptive next. We'll get to that in a little <laughs> bit, but this discussion is spurred on because of one Borna Church. Right. I have to say, I felt last season that he was kind of stagnating a bit. He had a big win over Sasha at the U.S. Open last year, but I wondered like how high he could really go. I didn't know that he had enough kind of raw power to take him to the next level. And I think I've been proven roundly incorrect, which is great because I'm a fan of his game. What did he achieve in Shanghai? Well, first of all, he beat Roger Federer in the semifinals, breaking twice. It's his second win over Roger this year, actually. He beat him in the final in Halo, which is Roger's playground. He lost a close one to him at Indian Wells, and Roger went on to lose to Del Potro there. Federer clearly wasn't at his best. There was there was some apocalyptic talk on Twitter about the R word, and I hate that stuff. I'm not even going to float that idea. Chorch played well, and Roger played okay. I'm, I'm not amazing. Like, Luckily for him, Roger's okay is better than most people's best. He showed up for the first time since when? The U.S. Open. And then made the semifinals of a Masters 1000. Right. Like, it's, and it's lost not to the end of the world. An up-and-comer who can do anything on his backhand. Watching some of these, like, backhand lobs, one of them hit the baseline, it's just so disrespectful. George has a 2-2 two two record against both Federer and Nadal. He is just shy of turning 22. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. There's no other way to, to describe that. He's still 0-3 against Djokovic. And perhaps from a matchup perspective, that's... That's going to be the one that, that'll be more difficult for him to solve. Oh, right. Considering he said he wanted to be Djokovic. Mm-hmm. Like he wants to play Djokovic's game, basically. One of the caveats is that he did get a Rafa who was seriously diminished in Cincinnati a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. That was kind of one-way traffic. When, you know, if they were both at their best, it may have been different. So perhaps luck has played a little bit in that equation but Mm. if you look at any of these young guys their initial head-to-heads against Federer and Nadal it's not pretty no except really except for Kyrgios but Chorich has shown that he can beat basically well almost anyone at the top and I think he's got a lot more to show did you mention Chorich's new career high oh number 13 number 13 that's that's really impressive Mm -hmm. now I went through the top 50 rankings on the ATP tour and I'm here to tell you that there are nine players who are 22 and younger in the top 50 on the ATP. That's pretty impressive. And it's not just guys out here having one or two results mm-hmm. and, you know, slipping in. And we don't really know what who they are or if they have potential. Like, these are guys who, for the most part, have made a fair bit of noise over the last two years. And their trajectories are very much on the rise. So we've got Zverev, who is world number four. Three, five? Three, uh, what is he? I feel like he's been Federer's switching three with Del Potro a few yeah. times. So four or five. And he's been in the top five for a while. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. We've now got Chorich. We've got Tsitsipas. We've got Daniel Medvedev. He just won in Tokyo. Completely mm-hmm. blitzing Kenny Shikori. Uh, Karen Hachanov. 
Denis Shapovalov, Young Chung, Alex Diminar, and Francis Tiafo. The one who is absolutely overlooked in that bunch is Francis Tiafo. You think so? Yeah. Because how many people yeah. actu- how many people actually know that he's top 50? Yeah, I hear you. Because that's part of the equation here, that you have to be ranked high enough to be then considered. I feel like people think of him as, oh, oh, there's a there's an American guy. Yeah, there's this young black American guy who's he's definitely the best of the young black American guys. But I don't really know <laughs> where exactly like, he I don't is know if right he's now. playing challengers yeah. or main I think draws he had or... that cute win against Zverev in Cincinnati last year. That's a mm-hmm. guy, right? And you're not quite sure who the guy is. Mm-hmm. He may have had that that story, like his dad was a janitor or something. You know, like <laughs> you have little bits and pieces of Tiafo's story, but lo and behold, he snuck up into the top fifty, and he's he's kind of on the cusp of arriving. He's one quarterfinal run in Australia away from being there. Okay, okay. So you're asking which of that group uh, is going to assert themselves as a top player? Not only that, but which ones potentially have the staying power to be the stars of the next mm-hmm. generation? Of their next generation, right. this hashtag next gen. So a lot of these guys are also in the next gen rankings. Zverev is leading the next gen again. I don't think he'll go to the next gen finals because he's a top five player on the ATP tour. It's like when Oprah took her name out of the running for the Emmys because she'd won <laughs> so much, right? Right. <laughs> but I think of those, I am surprised at how fast Tsitsipas has come on. And I think he has a lot more staying power and more pace behind his shots than I thought. I thought it was a little more touch and not enough power to break through in a real way. But he he is. He has. He has. <laughs> he has broken through. Yeah. Top 15. He has those things and he has broken through. <laughs> <laughs> right. Denis Shapovalov is definitely a popular pick. I'm still going to hold on Denis. There's, Why? there's a lot of potential, but I think that he needs time and he needs to get out of Canada. He lives in the Bahamas. That's where he lives in this. Fair. <laughs> Same with Bouchard. <laughs> but the Canadian media, you know how they can be. Mm-hmm. And I think people are inclined to baby him a little bit too much. I think he exists outside of just Canadian media at this point. Mm. But to your point, we saw it a lot with folks on the ground in Cincinnati. These anecdotal stories about Shapovalov with respect to, in particular, the umpire blinding incident and whatever like this. <laughs> so many He's people... not blind. Well, yes. But so many people wanted to like, oh my God, I felt so bad for him. I just wanted to hug him. Like It was almost like I want to like stroke his back and tell him everything is mm. going to be okay. Make sure he has his pajamas on, brushes his teeth and goes to bed. Yeah. I was surprised that I heard people say... You know, people just hammer yammer on about this umpire incident. And I'm like, I literally have not heard about it in like a year. And it only happened like a year and a half ago. It's amazing how quickly it disappeared. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we should go on and on about it. I was just surprised yeah, he's that that's of, the perception. He's one of those guys who absolutely gives his best in press. And I think that that is part of it as well. Oh, You yeah. know, like we, yeah. we've seen it time and time again where perspectives towards players are are uh, muddied are changed one way or the other based on how much they give in press yes. and i think that's part of the the infatuation with dennis it's the blonde hair it's the blue eyes <laughs> it's it's the visuals of his game which are very exciting mm-hmm. but it's also the contrition after the incident and how much he gives of himself right I mean, he comes off as like 
a genuine bro. Like, he's a dude, you know? It it seems authentic because it's so unpolished. Anyway. Anyway. That's not about tennis. That's about that's, personal That's, that's your personal bias. Yeah. I could see Hachanov, like, settling into maybe a Burditch role, which is great. Like, yeah. that's a really good career. Yeah. I don't know if I see him being a slam winner. I wonder if marriage works, hashtag marriage works, <laughs> has peaked for him too soon. And the oh, fact that he no. got married at 19 mm-hmm. means that his career is going to fall to shit. Well, now he just has to have a baby. By 22, 23. You know, like, you need to keep the kid at bay because otherwise your 20s are just going to be a shit show. But what are you talking about? After Andy and Stan and Roger had babies... I understand. Like they Burns, are reaping the Well, benefits. yes, but if you have that happen too soon, mm-hmm. then you're over that by like 24, 25, and then what? <laughs> <laughs> Hyun Chung has backtracked, regressed since being out with injury. It was terrible timing for him to get injured after the fast start to the year that he had. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's not done well in the last seven months or so. No, I mean, I think he's only recently back healthy. Like in the last few tournaments is really he's actually back mm-hmm. so it'll take some time diminar i don't know the full extent of diminar's game to mm-hmm. be able to say one way or the other he how i want to know how does somebody so slight become great for an extended <laughs> period of time this is exactly what i don't understand i he doesn't make sense to me like how does someone so small unleash that much power mm-hmm. on the forehand is it all timing is it all torque uh, ask camilla georgie <laughs> Well, exactly. Okay, so tell me what's going on here. Who's going to do what in their careers? Who do you pick? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, of those, the first three. Chorich, Zverev, and Tsitsipas. That is such a cop-out. Well, that's what I think. For me, I think, and I've kind of always felt that Zverev's potential has been overstated. Mm. That it's been kind of blinded by how quickly it happened. And the fact that that hasn't happened over the course of the last decade or so. To have somebody so young play so well do it made people think like well damn you know i I definitely feel like there's going to be a stalling period going forward and he'll have to do what chorch did over the last year to overcome the regression this again i accept that this is unfair to zverev because he hasn't really regressed Mm -hmm. he just hasn't performed to the potential that we think he has that he's commonly held to have right well i you know there's a winning rome without dropping serve once and then there's losing in the third round of slams mm. but my point is Chorich had made these strides beaten these top players and then had a pretty bad 12 months mm. and had to really dedicate himself in a new way to his game and to improving to then be up to number 13 right now so i'm going to pass on zverev and i'm going to go with Chorich, absolutely Chorich. i'm going to go with medvedev and I'm going to go with Chung still. All right. Provided Chung can stay healthy, I love what I see in his game. But back to back to Borna Chorich. Borna Chorich is at this point in his career where should he win a slam or continue his rise in the short future, he could dominate the world. He could rule the world, specifically the gay world. <laughs> Is it, I mean, he's already kind of ruling the gay world. No, but this is like total domination. <laughs> like, is there anything this man cannot do? Any look he cannot give? Uh-huh. Any flirtation he will not participate in? He has so many things going for him. 
he get well he gets it. Yeah. He's get he gets that he's hot. He but plays he, he does a little tongue in cheek thing with it, but he's not like cocky about it. With women, with men, mm-hmm. he is not a dick. He doesn't seem to be a dick. I mean, there's always room for men to show their asses. I mean, that's right. always lurking around the corner. But to this point, he seemed to got the total package, all of the packages. Uh, and he's getting ready to deliver them. The, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Are you imagining him in like a UPS uniform? <laughs> is that where that was going? Maybe Nike could take some pointers for his <laughs> yeah. kits next Stop year. Stop putting him in gray. What is that? Also, like you have, in truth now, a burgeoning superstar. Get him out of the generic stuff. Yeah. Mm. Like that tie-dye crap. It's, it's, no, absolutely not. (laughs) Let's talk about some of the other results we missed in these past two weeks. Quickly. Let's do this quickly. Okay. We did Shanghai. So, you know, Novak Djokovic beat Borna George 6-3-6-4. Basilashvili won Beijing. He also won Hamburg this summer, which is a 500. He beat Del Potro in the final of Beijing reaching uh, number 23, which is a career high. He also had a great result at the U.S. Open. It was one of the matches of the tournament. Yeah. And also, he continues to wear one of the best kits of the year. You know, I've talked about this, Mm -hmm. my partiality to black and white kits, and his is one of the best. And he wears it well. Medvedev, who we mentioned earlier, won Tokyo by beating Nishikori quite convincingly. You have here, does Medvedev have the ugliest game in tennis? I'd, I don't think so. Hmm. Uh, it's unconventional. Mm-hmm. I watched him play Borna Chorich, actually, in Cincinnati and quite enjoyed it in it person. Did. There's a lot of uh, slice forehands. and I guess that question was posited incorrectly. <laughs> Are his strokes the ugliest strokes in tennis? They're interesting. They're horrendous. No, to me, Jeannie Bouchard's are the ugliest in tennis. Sure. Sorry. Fine. Sure. Who can argue Mm -hmm. with that? But really, it doesn't matter if your strokes are pretty or not. If you're winning, it's fine. Mm -hmm. And we've railed against the folks who champion Federer as being the greatest simply on the strength of the aesthetics of his strokes. Right. This is very disingenuous of me to be saying this. (laughs) Hypocritical. Yeah, absolutely. But sitting there watching that final, I was at a loss for words. (laughs) In Hong Kong. So Wang Chong makes another final, has totally torn up this Asian swing. Is there a semifinal she cannot reach? Uh, Apparently not. But she lost easily to Diana Yastremska. Watching that match, holy hell. That girl, Yastremska, just stood on the baseline, was not to be pushed back, and just like unfurled. Winner after winner, these returns were absolutely demolished. It, I always say that watching power and watching someone take the ball early like that is, there's just something mesmerizing about it, and that's a good example of it. She displayed no fear at all. So you're saying it's Yastremska and Sabalenka who will rule the world in 2019? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You know, when you do hit that flat and that hard... There's a lot of margin, or there's not much margin for error, like we see with Madison Keys, for example. When things there's go, a lot of margin for errors, <laughs> but when things go wrong, they can go very wrong. Mm-hmm. But watching this final in Hong Kong was just so impressive. For one's part, she beat both Muguruza and Svitolina in the same event. 
beating Muguru with a 7-5 in the, the third set in the semifinal. Mm-hmm. That was a great match, too. Garbina has really come to play. She did put in a good performance in Hong Kong, and I feel like maybe she's she's on a bit of an upswing. I think the coaching situation is still a bit of an issue. We're just going to have to let that slide. Yeah, and just... because there's nothing we can do about it. No, it's <laughs> one of the topics that gets so much kerfuffle. <laughs> yeah, Everybody yeah. wants to talk about Sam Sumik and Garbi Muguruza, but really. It's just uncomfortable. Sure. And everybody can feel that. It's She's a grown woman. She is. She can fire his ass anytime mm. she wants. So let her be. In Linz, Camilla Georgi beats Alexandrova 6-3-6-1 for the second title of her career. And just like that, she's up to a career high, number 28. Mm-hmm. Camilla Georgi. Seated at the Australian Open. Oh, Lord. Do we know that? <laughs> I mean, she's 28 now. It's only going to get oh, better. Oh, dear. You know what? I've, for whatever has happened in her past, whatever culpability she shares and holds for that, mm. however disrespectful she is of the women's game and dismissive, <laughs> however whatever you want to say about Camilla Georgie, mm. I have always respected the fuck out of the way she goes about her business in that she's coming to play her game and if her game is on point she'll win a lot of points Mm -hmm. and if it's not she'll just keep on moving the The speed with which she plays on court is the same speed with which she'll haul her ass off the court when she loses and flee her creditors we actually we had a episode i think in 2016 called doubles debtors and divas yes if you want to know more about georgie <laughs> go there those were probably uh, i wonder if you respected her on that episode like you said you did i just said in spite of all that stuff okay i referenced okay. all that stuff we were clearly a lot more messy back in 2016 well, the first two years of the show <laughs> uh so if you've uh, if you've been around since then and still put up with us thanks but to our point earlier with Diminar, somebody who is so slight, able to generate so much power. Right. We also, in Linz, I want to make special mention here, we are perhaps seeing the emancipation of Petco. <laughs> Did she need emancipating? <laughs> Listen, in this new cycle of Moriah music, hashtag MC15, <laughs> I am going to draw on the emancipation of Mimi in this mm-hmm. analogy here. Petko has made three semifinals now in the year. She was floundering outside the top 100. She's been very much a part of the Racket Magazine podcast, writing for Racket Mag, also writing for German newspapers, doing so many things outside of tennis. And, you know, like when that stuff kind kind of dovetails with a slide in the rankings, you kind of mm. think, well, this right, is kind of precarious. Setting the table kind of for mm-hmm. the next phase. But she's out here since DC, defending semifinal points in DC, was able to def- defend those. And then she goes on to make two more semifinals in Guangzhou and then now again in Linz. Mm-hmm. Was up 6 11 on serve in the second set against Alexandrova and then it just went to shit. Lost the second set 4 6 and then love 6 in the third. One of those bizarre mm-hmm. bagel bagel. Bookend yeah. three-set matches where you're on the wrong side of it. But kudos to her. She's now won her first match this week, and she's back inside the top 70. If she were to somehow win this week, she'd be back inside the top 50. And who knows? Hmm. Over at the Tianjin Slam, 
Maria Sharapova defending champion, as you all know. Carolyn Garcia has sort of made up for some of those lost points during this Asian swing and won, beating Pliskova in the final. Mm-hmm. If she had four handfuls of points, she made up one handful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was damage control. Pliskova, for her part, keeps winning this year. And I'm, you know, as bad-minded as I am, I'm hoping that she doesn't make Singapore because she's just annoyed me to no end. <laughs> but it looks like she's going to make it. Mm-hmm. Like, she's got a pretty good yeah. shot. Even so, if she doesn't qualify, who knows if Simona will show up. That's so, true. That is very true. Over in Beijing, Caroline Wozniacka won her third title of the year. She goes through spurts of since winning Australia and getting that Grand Slam at long last. Mm. It seems like she goes through periods of consistent to not great results and then terrible results. Yeah. And then she'll pop up and like, I did that. I, and I then go off. she was kind of uninterested, to be honest. Well, she's out here spending as much time as possible with her fiancé. Mm. Like, when that when that stuff is new, that's a priority, right? Like, right. that makes sense. She's always on social media posting up with her nieces and nephews. She seems to be enjoying family time a lot. Mm-hmm. And still able to come out here and win a big title like Beijing. So kudos to her. And with that title, she's now again inserted herself into the Player of the Year category. Like, full, full-fledged. You think into, so? Yeah. I feel like because she's outside of those, though, the rest of her year has been so unimpressive that it, it does her a bit of a disservice. It's been consistent in spots. But you throw in Singapore and then what? How would you well, deny you're right. her? The, and, well, Singapore was last year, though. She, if she defends, she's going to oh, be there again. Well, if she defends, that's, that's a what whole I'm different saying. story. Yeah. Unfortunately, the WTA does their voting before Singapore even mm. happens, which is confounding to me. That's a very good caveat. It, well, I mean, we're talking about our player of the year, but the official WTA player of the year doesn't take into account this year's finals results, which to me, I feel that they're devaluing their end-of-the-year tournament. Mm-hmm. If they really view it as kind of a fifth slam, why does it not have a huge stake in, in who's the player of the year? And last year it did. It really affected, you know, Venus got to the final. People thought that Venus was in the running for player of the year last year. Those Caroline Wozniacki won. Yeah, but those folks who are not beholden to winning a slam as being the ultimate criterion for winning mm. player of the year were like, well, hey, look what Venus just did. Right. Again, on one right. of the slowest ass courts in history. Lord. Wozniacki beats Sevastova in the final. Kudos to... Sevastova, who is firmly entrenched as a top 15 player. Yeah, we'll make Zhuhai again. Question for you, James. Mm. We just talked a bit about all the stuff that Wozniacki's been doing all year. Where was Caroline Wozniacki Esquire when Serena needed her? (laughs) About two months ago. A month and a half? Not even. Where were you when I needed you? (laughs) Did you know you just quoted Lauren Hill's song? (laughs) But indeed, where was she? Because Vika Azarenka was out here doing Instagram stories, monologues, soliloquies to anyone who would listen about how messed up she thought the whole thing was. Perhaps Wozniacki was not granted godmother. <laughs> Perhaps that's what it was. There's, there's a rift. Who knows? I'm being facetious. Mm. But there was only one, to my mind, instance where on social media there was some interaction with the whole U.S. Open thing. 
where she liked a tweet from Marty Fish saying, come on, like, this is ridiculous. Oh, okay. Blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to go And then in. it was back to swim, <laughs> SI swimsuit shoots. <laughs> it was back to nieces and nephews mm. and sunshine and rainbows. I don't know. I just, I just felt like she could have used her skills to better use. All that <laughs> lawyering that she's been doing on court for the past <laughs> half a decade, it, it could have really helped the public discourse. I'm not going to go off on Caroline here because I know we're being mm-hmm. a little bit facetious. I'm, but I'm being, I will an, say, I'm being an asshole. I will say, I will own that. if you are my friend, I am going to ride for you in that situation. And I will probably make myself look like an ass. Don't do that. Don't say that because it, it absolutely depends on whether you firmly believe that person's right. You're not going to be out here acting a fool if you think that the person really done did wrong. I would do that for you, though. Even if I did if wrong? If you were wrong? Yes. We're on the same team. No, see, I, I don't know. Oh, wow. I don't know. Well, you have witnessed a betrayal tonight. No, like All if, of if you. something is that egregious, you know where your, your morals are. Like, if I if you step that far out of the line, I should hope that you would not do something at this point, 11 years in, to where I'd be so shocked that you... That oh, you she couldn't defend it? Oh, she went that way? <laughs> <laughs> like, that would that make, make me question things. But the if right, you're, right. like, with somebody, like, earlier on... Yeah, if you go something that's so antithetical to who you are as a person, like that's that's kind of no. I think the situation is like, oh, he really came that way. I mean, I wouldn't have handled it that way, but I'm still gonna go to bat for you. Sure. Okay. You know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, there is something to be said about investing in tournaments where you want the sport to grow. Mm-hmm. So we see Lina and Zhang Ye. Kamiko Date, etc., as pioneers of Asian tennis, and it is really coming home to roost now. We saw a lot of Asian players excel at these tournaments and beat top players from all over the world. Still not necessarily reflected in attendance. Right. That is that's still the thing that that seems to be missing. But this has to be one step. People always say, well, how do you fix that? This has to be one step, don't you think, to yeah. fix that? I think the fans who are there are very serious, they're diehard, they know what they're talking about. They also sort of interact in a world that we don't see, you know, in like in Chinese social media networks that we don't have access mm-hmm. to, for example, in languages we don't understand. What is it, Weibo? Yeah. Like, That's like their Facebook, In China, right? they're not using Facebook and Twitter, right? Like, so all this fandom happens outside of, of where we can kind of access it. But, you know, Wang Chong, we talked about, has made the semifinal or better at all five tournaments since the U.S. Open. Crazy. She won Guangzhou, and she lost the final in Hong Kong. She also won Nanchang earlier in the year, and she won the gold medal at the Asian Games. So these past, like, four months for her have been wild. Naomi Osaka left the U.S. Open with the trophy, with all that, that she had to deal with. Got on her sponsored plane (laughs) Mm -hmm. to collect more sponsorship money in Asia and still managed to make the final in Tokyo, losing to Pliskova, and then the semifinals in Beijing, losing to Sevastovo. Like, that is quite the remarkable return after all that she went through. Mm -hmm. Kei Nishikori, I feel like, is well and truly back. He made the final in Tokyo, losing to Medvedev. He's made a few finals this year, made a big one on clay. I think he's, you know, the body is always an issue with him, is stringing together results. But 
seems like he's recovered from the wrist thing last year. Remember his name, Nishioka. <laughs> we just talked about him on the last episode. He won Shenzhen. Zhang Shuai made the semifinals in Hong Kong in singles and then won doubles with Stozer. Mm-hmm. Stozer out here hashtagging the hell out of that. <laughs> winners that, are grinners. Winners are grinners. <laughs> not done yet. More to come. Like, girl, <laughs> bring it. Right? We want to see you out here for a long time. I'm curious to see if Sam Stozer, should her singles results totally fall off the cliff, if, she, if she'll revert to being a double specialist like she was at the yeah. start of her career. Yeah. I think she could have the potential to bookend her career with doubles glory. I would love that. What's left on the agenda? We've got an etc. section, and then we're going to maybe talk about Zhuhai a little bit. And then we're going to finish with things we like and things we dislike. Okay. Singapore qualification. Sloane Stevens has officially qualified. It would have been egregious if she didn't after a year like this. Mm-hmm. She Just by entering the draw in Moscow, she qualifies, regardless of how she plays there. Svitolina is not playing in Moscow, but that doesn't mean she doesn't have a chance to qualify. But uh, Pliskova and Burton's also have a chance. for That's for the 7th and 8th spots mm-hmm. between those three. Svitolina was unable to get into the Moscow draw via wildcard because it had already been issued. And so when that happened, Sloan, by nature of points and just mm. the way the system works, was able to qualify by default. Right. So those three are left for the final two places. We've already said that still not a given that Simona Halep will be healthy enough to play in Singapore. So we may see those, what do you call it, alternate spots come into play this year. Right. Because there's a few that are really close. You mentioned Simona. She flew to Moscow. She was preparing to play. She's been training and doing exercises on her back to try to recover from this herniated disc. She knows that it's not going to require surgery, but unfortunately she wasn't ready to compete in Moscow this week. She tried to be there and wanted to get some matches under her belt, but as a result, Singapore is still in doubt. Definitely at risk. You have this noted here, there's being quote-unquote fighter girl, and then there's being reckless. Yeah, and uh, you know, I don't want to kick someone while she's down, but... She's already qualified. She could have just taken the time off and just tried to show up in Singapore. Yeah, herniated disc is serious. And it's not something you want to make worse. You know, it it can be a very debilitating injury for tennis players if you don't care for it properly. It can be something that that creeps up on you again and again if -hmm. you don't fully recover. It's just, it doesn't seem worth it to me. Perhaps what's at play is a specter of this year-end. Well, she has the year-end number one locked up, but this player of the year... That would be the, the absolute cherry on top of her season. Like if she's able to to win Singapore and lock that up without a doubt. You know, she's a player that there's always some doubts surrounding mm-hmm. her achievements throughout her career. And, and this was the year making the final in Australia, then winning the French Open, stringing together arguably the most consistent season of any of the, the players in the WTA Tour. This She may feel hard done that this was her time to really... To put all those doubts to rest. Right. So I think perhaps that's at play. Who is just, again, the most unfortunate soul, a poor unfortunate soul, Juan Martin Del Potro. The most innocuous looking injury mm-hmm. forces him to retire against Borna Chorich. And then come to find out it's a broken kneecap, a fractured yeah. kneecap. My God. So without surgery, apparently the best case recovery scenario is about six weeks. 
but it can take anywhere up to like three, four, five months to fully recover. We've got confirmation that he doesn't need surgery for it, but like, could this guy go through one more major injury? And it's pretty universal, like across tennis, people are just heartbroken for him because of what he's been through. Aga Radwanska unveiled her Aga, I almost said Aga apartments, her Aga <laughs> apartments in Krakow. You can stay at these fancy apartment suites that are designed, regaled with paraphernalia from Radwanska's career <laughs> in these tennis-themed apartments. Mm. Will you be? Will we be going? Will you be taking me to Krakow to stay in one of these apartments? No, no, thank you. Uh, but I, I will say, I love that these girls are realizing their sort of star power and they're creating avenues for themselves after they're done with tennis the williams sisters were the trailblazers in this in this area i will say it's cute i'm here it's for cute. it and make money on what you've achieved zhuhai happens i believe the week after singapore and we're in like what year four or five of this tournament now and it's it's starting to take some hold it is actually a cute little event, to I'm going to be honest. To the extent and that we know about it and we are looking forward to it and we know that the field is going to be stellar mm. because with the depth on the women's tour, literally anybody can win. I'm not going to lie. I have enjoyed Zhuhai more than Singapore quite a bit. Yes. So how it works here is the top 11 players who are not in Singapore qualify, plus the 12th spot will go to the 12th player or a wild card. So I think in this scenario, it makes sense to pick a wild card. Wang Chong, people have been floating her name because she's very close to qualifying, but she's not technically the 12th player who didn't make Singapore. But right now, the field as it stands, so for that ninth spot, it could be between Burton's Pliskova and Svitolina. For Singapore. Yes, so two for of them Singapore will make and Singapore. Zhuhai, yeah. Right, right. But one of them will make Zhuhai as well. They, they may or may not choose to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we've they, got. They'll have to make the decision to. Well, they could do. You can they be, could do both. You can be an alternate, actually, and play Zhuhai as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's Sabalenka, Elise Mertens, Sevastova, Kazatkina, Madison Keys, Yulia Gurgis, Muguruza. Uh, Muguruza, who is 17th in the race, who <laughs> has two majors to her name. It is shocking to see her that low. She is coming on strong, though. This yes. could be a flourish to her season. At long last, some consistency mm. for her achieved this time on the Asian swing. And then Garcia, Barty, and Ostapenko. Barty was the semifinals last year in Zhuhai. Uh, Gurgis is the defending champion. Coco Vandeweghe, who was the runner-up, is not even close to qualifying this year. Her ranking. Uh, unfortunately... Lord. Venus, who's the runner-up in Singapore, is not even close to qualifying mm-hmm. to either event. Venus will end the year probably around 40, mm. somewhere in that vicinity. It's not entirely tragic, <laughs> right. but it's not good. Uh, but there's even some intrigue in the Zhuhai alternate qualifying, because for that final spot, Contivate is in the running because Moscow counts toward it. CSN, if she wins Luxembourg would qualify. And Wang Chong is is kind of the obvious wildcard pick, especially because it's in China. And she's been playing so well. It, it's a no-brainer. In the past, it's been Sai Sai. 
they've tended to mm-hmm. give a wild card to a Chinese player. It makes perfect sense. Like this is the kind of thing that if she does not qualify and she does not get the wild card, it will be one of the It'd be like what are you doing? The biggest fuck ups in the history of all sports, <laughs> sport management. Like it okay. will be taught in schools. <laughs> <laughs> not to be like dramatic or anything. Bit of news today: Angelique Kerber and Wim Vassett are no longer mm-hmm. a team. Yeah, there has been a, a history of Vassett getting great results with the player and splitting up soon after. We clearly don't know what it's about. We're told that it's a difference in opinion about the direction of mm, what's to come. Right. And Angelique is going to make an announcement in Singapore. So we're told, based on the translated tweet that I saw today. Maybe she'll be working with Richard Williams. Somebody else who knows how to beat Williams sisters. Oh my god. Because <laughs> Vim Set sure knows how. Things we like and things we dislike. I'm going to let you take the mic first. It's mm-hmm. not like we're, it's not like we're actually handing the mic over to each other. It's right. a stationary mic with a pop filter that we're, we're both sitting behind. But figuratively, you can take the mic and go first with things you like because you told me you trumped this up before the episode. Yeah. That, oh, did you know? Because let me tell you, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before. One of James's favorite things to do is to did you know me? Like, at least two or three times a day, he's like, did you know this? And it's usually something, like, really mundane and boring. It's not. That I have to pretend to be interested in. I'm just saying, this is my Mm -hmm. truth. (laughs) And so, you caught yourself, and you're like, oh, did you know? And like, no, no, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it for the show. And so, here you are. Like, for example, did you know that all of the planets in the solar system could fit between the Earth and the moon? Did you know? I bet you didn't know that. Did you know? that the Sears catalog was groundbreaking in giving African-Americans access to buying goods because mm-hmm. the store owner model before would have them like waiting on folks, waiting on white folks to be served to infinity before they were served. And so being able to order stuff from home, mail order, made them, it opened up a whole new world. This I learned last mm-hmm. night. I did not, but I, I read that thread on Twitter. Mm-hmm. See, I'm, I did you know you, but you knew. But so I, I, I like gaining new knowledge. You so just that's know everything, so there is nothing I can I can teach you. So anyway, things we like. I did teach you how to butcher a chicken tonight, and the, you did really well. Uh, thank you. Thanks. All the joints were perfectly severed. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> there was blood. <laughs> tell me, tell me. Anyway, so Riverdale is back, as you know, mm-hmm. which is probably my favorite show on TV right now. It is beautiful trash, but the really exciting thing is that they're going to have a, an episode set in the 90s, and the actors are going to be playing their parents. What? Yeah. So, Beth, oh. for example, you know, Betty's mom is played by Machen Amick, who mm-hmm. is a, a 90s queen. At the time, was, she was Played Shelly on, on Twin yeah. Peaks. Mm-hmm. The actress who plays her, Lily Reinhardt, will be basically dressing up as Machen Amick in like definitely a 90s grunge kind of look with long that long curly hair that she used to have. The resemblance is uncanny. Oh my god. So you mean to tell me Archie Andrews, AJ Kappa, is going to be playing Dylan on 90210? Yeah. Gird your loins. My loins ready. are girded <laughs> every week for Riverdale because I know... They, I've never seen a show know its audience so well. They know that certain things are expected. And with that premiere last week, mm-hmm. it was 
astonishing that so much flesh could be shown from the people that we want it shown. <laughs> the show is so trashy. Can you imagine? But it's if- so... Uh, I don't even... Like, it's so stylized, and there's just things about it that prevent it from verging into total garbage. It There's just... There is really a clear... I feel visual and artistic vision mm-hmm. okay. for the show, Me- even if the plot makes no sense. Meanwhile, at least three times a season, you're like, "This is the most terrible shit on TV." You go in like total polar opposites. Yeah, but opposites. like, would I ever stop watching it? <laughs> Can you imagine if the show was made on HBO or Netflix? Like the potential. No, you for- need a little bit of restraint. I feel because it could mm-hmm. verge into garbage. No, I, I would take a little bit of garbage <laughs> if that were an offer. <laughs> Things I like, this new show on Netflix, Elite. Elite. I'm giving you the Spanish. It's just it's just elite. No, no. Don't be pretentious. It's Elite. It's a Spanish language television is show. Is that a word in Spanish? It is, yes. Okay. The accent is on the first E. I think that's French. No. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> I found it one night while you were sleeping and then you ended up watching the entire series in one day in one day in one literally day. Mm-hmm. eight episodes it's there's this wave of spanish language programming coming on netflix in you know descended from cable girls las chicas del cable <laughs> <laughs> is is that an english word like that was adapted into Spanish. I, is I it don't know. Las chicas del cable. I don't. Or? I don't know. I say cable because uh-huh. that's how it should be pronounced. But I also last night started La Casa de las Flores, which is a Mexican TV show that's mm-hmm. now on Netflix, just debuted, and I'm sitting there watching this show. And I don't know if y'all know this. You know this for sure. One of my OG boos and all-time faves, Gal Garcia Bernal. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my lord! You would be left in an instant. <laughs> And you wouldn't even be mad same, about it. Same, same. You wouldn't, yeah. even, like, it would be just the way the cookie crumbled, <laughs> you know? I'm watching this show, and this dude is on it, and I'm like, he is giving me Guile realness right now. And, of course, I look him up, uh, hello, Guile's brother. Mm-hmm. Guile's brother is out here on this show, La Casa de las Flores, in various stages of House undress. House of Flowers. House of Flowers. The name plays a very important part. I'm through three episodes. Okay. Because there's a big House of Flowers, and there's a small House of Flowers. Is it like a greenhouse? You just got to watch it. (laughs) It's manageable. It's 30 to 33 minutes every episode. Uh, It's lighthearted. But the whole premise of it, there's this this family that they have made their money on a flower shop. Hmm. And so their house, there's this big sign, La Casa de las Flores. And one day, the very first episode, the pilot, everything comes crashing down. Because drama unfolds, secrets are told... And life as they know it is no longer. And, I mean, I can't tell you it's going to be the greatest thing ever. It has an 8 out of 10 on IMDb, which for most shows is, like, stellar. Mm. <laughs> because IMDb people, they are terrible. They rate good shows poorly. So if something is 8 out of 10 on IMDb, that's usually a barometer for me uh. to be like, that's worth watching. Uh, but for now, I'm really enjoying it. And I am enjoying getting another Bernal. For things we dislike, this is really things you dislike. You dislike the season autumn. Otherwise known as fall. Uh-huh. Why does it All have you two names? Do is call. Why does it have two names? Because, Let's start with that. Because the English language has a lot of different 
um, influences linguistically. Mm. Like we take words from a lot of different languages. Does winter have two names? Does summer have two names? Does spring have two names? What is special about fall slash autumn? <laughs> Did you know me? Tell so me. So that's like one. Did, do I know? No, I don't know. Okay. That's one of the many things about fall that you don't like. That that's a new one. I hadn't, wow. I hadn't even thought about that. I was ready uh-huh. with this long laundry list, and then that just came to mind. So Let's, you tell me why you don't like it, and I'll tell you why you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And then I'll tell you why you think you're right, but uh, you're yeah, really okay. wrong. Okay. Listen, fall, I grew up in Jamaica. So like I had the worst of the weather change was hurricane season. You know? Mm-hmm. Like you had to go stuck up on canned goods and hope that your house didn't get blown down. And we know in your lifetime, you only got the one big one because Jamaicans pray a lot. I didn't say and that. And God has spared Jamaica since, what was it, Camille? Gilbert. Gilbert. I didn't say that. That was 1988. <laughs> well, there were other hurricanes, mm. um, but none quite as big as Gilbert in my lifetime. It even spawned uh, a popular song. Water come in my room, we sweep out some with the broom, and the liquor dog laugh to see such fun, and the dish run away with the spoon. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I'm now in Canada and the US for the last 15 years. 15? Yeah. Yeah, 15 years. And snow was cute to start. I remember being in the dining hall of Ithaca College the very first time snow started to fall. Mm. And I was seated by a window and I was like, oh my God, this is like October something. And snowdrops are falling. Snowflakes. Snowflakes. <laughs> and it was quite the escape I had to make to get out of this dining hall. It had this large staircase. Yeah. And I finally get outside and it was done. <laughs> it was just a little, it's like, oh my oh, God, don't oh worry. My God, I'll there never see it again. <laughs> And within two weeks, I was like totally over it. But fall now, fall just seems so unnecessary. It's a it's a reminder. It's a tease. Because you're coming off summer, and then in no time, you have this in-between weather that you can't really do shit. Like, you can layer and look cute. Mm. That That's one plus. I'll give it that. You can okay. wear some things without having to be, you know, burdened by heavy winter wear. You know, yeah. You, you can to, wear some cute cardigans, yeah. some sweaters. You don't have mm-hmm. to be sweating if you're outside in the winter. That's about it. Otherwise, like you're getting terrible weather. You're getting if you're listening in the U.S. or whoever uses Fahrenheit, you're getting like forty to sixty degree weather that quite literally changes twenty degrees by the day. You're getting rain every day. You open the door and you never know. In our case, to take the dog out constantly have to be looking at the weather app mm. to see if you need the umbrella to take the fucking dog out. Like, the dog needs to go out three, four times a day. Like, that's a problem. The weather change, you're constantly avoiding being sick, getting the flu. Like, mm. it's a terrible, or cold, it's a terrible time of year for that. But let me tell you, these people on my commute every morning coughing, I swear, half of them have a serious pandemic that will kill us all. I don't drink hot drinks. I spend, like, maybe two year a year of my life while I was writing my master's thesis in the Starbucks that you worked at Mm -hmm. drinking coffee literally for a year I drank coffee so I don't drink hot drinks I don't give a fuck about pumpkin pumpkin spice lattes or any of these (laughs) fanciful drinks that Starbucks or whoever wants to throw out there I'm not the market for that I do not like Halloween I'd be into Halloween if it were warm weather like all the outfits that I'd want to wear I'm not saying they'd be scantily clad I'm just saying like what if I want to go as Bjorn Borg do I have to wear a coat? Do no, I then have, have to, to wear his warm ups? Exactly. Yeah. Like, do I have to then expose myself to the elements of whatever October thirty first feels like being? 
You know, like that is not my bag. Well, I'll tell you, growing up, we typically had to wear like a winter jacket either underneath or above our costumes, which was a total bummer. There were a lot of Halloweens that were like freezing rain, not quite snowing. That's what you expect in upstate New York. But am, am I making my case here? There's a lot to dislike yeah, about fall. Yeah, but fall is amazing. Like you said, you get to wear nice clothes and cardigans and sweaters and stuff. I prefer them to summer clothes. Where are the it's nice pretty? Clo- where are the nice clothes that you're wearing right now? All I'm hearing is bitching oh God, wow. that you need to buy new clothes. So I don't. Ha- but you don't go to the mall. You can't find what you want. And so by the you get like 20 days of fall. Three of them are nice weather. And then by the time you actually get the shit, you can't wear it. Okay, like everyone is sick of your complaining about fall. <laughs> One more thing. Mm. I get aesthetically that fall is beautiful. Like mm-hmm. we went to school in upstate New York at Ithaca College. When the trees change, leaves fall... And the, the, that orange to red hue that's just adorning the trees and the ground. It's, mm. it's gorgeous. But are you getting that with a 55 degree day with no wind and no rain? Oh my god. I'm done. I'm done. Oh, really? I'm done. Not everyone got to grow up in the tropics. <laughs> where the weather was mostly predictable. We take what we can get, okay? Okay. Is there anything you want to say in support of fall? No. Have I been that much of a Debbie Downer? Yes. Okay. Well, I do not apologize. Obviously. (laughs) That would be out of character. (laughs) Before we go, we've talked privately about maybe having a body serve get together with folks who live in Toronto because we have Mm -hmm. quite a few listeners who live in the area. I don't know if that's something that folks would want to do. Like we could go to an establishment and, you know, have drinks. (laughs) (laughs) If you're old enough. So let us know. Tweet us, email us, thebodyserve at gmail.com. However you're able to get in touch with us. If you are in the air and it's something you you'd be game for, let us know. We might just actually do it. Mm-hmm. Till then, thanks for listening. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James. I'm at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. And we're at The Body Serve on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Um, Find us on iTunes, write us a review, and we'll be back soon. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.